Hear that? That's the sound of a patient whose health data is protected from a cyber attack. And that, that's the sound of a financial system that's digitally secured from bad actors. Right now, there's an invisible war being fought on a digital battlefield that impacts what we do every day. That's why at Paraton, we do the can't be done to help protect the vital systems we rely on. Because if we don't, the alternative is unimaginable. Paraton. Membership fees apply after free trial. Cancel any time. Can I be real for a second? That goal you have to exercise and eat better, you really can do it. But nobody is going to do it for you. And nobody has to, because you can do it if you have the right tools and a community that cares about helping you get results. And that's us, Beachbody. It's as convenient as your TV or laptop, but you need to decide that you're worth it. Let us help you succeed. Here's how. Go to Beachbody.com to claim your free membership and start feeling great. Hello and welcome back to the Space News Pod, a daily podcast about space, science, and tech. And today's episode is Dr. David Warmflash. We're going through some illnesses that happen. Well, it's kind of the human condition that happens with explorers in space. Now, Dr. David Warmflash, he's also the author of Moon and Illustrated History from Ancient Myths to the Colonies of tomorrow and here he is speaking about how even astronauts our heroes can get sick it happened for a medical reason there was a uh, <clears throat> third time i'm bringing up charlie duke so charlie duke who would go later to the moon uh in 1970 when they uh, it was they were getting ready to launch apollo 13 charlie duke came down with a disease called rubella. And for all the kiddos listening, you probably never heard of rubella because your friends don't get rubella because you've been vaccinated because your parents are really smart and made sure you got your MMR vaccine. Although if you live in one of these kind of snotty communities that says we don't like vaccines because, oh, well, they cause autism, which they don't, by the way, then... Maybe, maybe you will start seeing cases like that, just as they're, starting, they're seeing cases of the measles all over the place now. The rubella has been nicknamed German measles because uh, I don't know why, actually. But it's also been called three-day measles because it's a kind of a shorter, a shorter sickness than the measles. But it's a really bad thing to get, especially if you're orbiting the moon and your two friends are going down to the surface of the moon. And there was one astronaut on, a, on the Apollo 13 crew, Ken Mattingly, who had never had rubella when he was a kid. And in those days, they didn't have the benefit of having this wonderful vaccine to prevent rubella. It was just coming out. It came out in during the late 60s, and then it was put together with a vaccine for measles and mumps right around that time when, when Apollo 13 was, was leaving. So those guys would not have been vaccinated and so so their friend charlie duke mm. actually caught rubella and because all these guys are all training together they were worried about well the two other guys on apollo 13 um jim lovell the commander and fred hayes well they had had rubella when they were kids so they were they were immune but maddingly hadn't had it and they thought well if he catches it from duke that's it and those guys will be coming up from the surface he'll have a huge high fever He'll have a rash all over his body. He'll be he'll be dehydrated. 
he'll be in horrible condition. That could that could that could be the end of the whole mission right there. All three of them could die. So they decided they gotta replace either the whole crew with the backup crew or take the command module pilot from the backup crew, uh, Jack Swagger, and replace Ken Mattingly. And that's what they did. So here they are two days before the mission and they're going to the moon with a kind of unrehearsed group dynamic. But oh. they, um, they had a worse problem, it turned out, because they, they ended up having a big explosion on the way to the moon and had to use the lunar module as a lifeboat and they just barely got back to Earth with their lives. I'm going to take a quick break, and when I get back, more from Dr. David Warmflash. And that's another thing. People think of Apollo 11 when they think about the, um, the moon, right? So they don't think about these other missions, like the ones before Apollo 11, that actually made it possible for the Apollo 11 astronauts to go to the moon. Now, we're going to go back to the moon soon i hope by 2024 that's the plan and hopefully politics doesn't get you know uh involved this time and we just get to go back hopefully it'll be economically productive right because yeah. if they can get industry going on the moon as jeff jeff bezos bezos wants to do to move heavy industry from earth to the moon so that we're not polluting our environment the way that we're doing polluting now and then if we can get energy from the moon, which there are two really, really good ways to get energy from the moon. One we're ready to do right now, right this second, we have the technology. And the other, we don't have the technology yet, but we could have the technology if we put more work into it. The first one that we can do right now is to get solar power from the moon and then beam the solar power to Earth in the form of microwaves. That's that's very low tech. We could we could do it and you could line the surface of the moon uh, with tissue paper thin photovoltaic cells. The moon is basically built of what you can use to make photovoltaic cells. It's silicon dioxide, and you have all the all the needed elements you need to put in for the electronics. And you could collect solar energy there, and you could power all of Earth's energy needs. You can't do that with solar power on Earth. And there's been a, an actual economic analysis by a physicist from the University of Houston, David Criswell. He's been doing this since the 1970s. And he figured out that if you're going to do solar power on a large scale, it's cheaper to do it on the moon rather than on Earth. Because on Earth, you got to build these huge cement and glass structures to survive the weather. And you got to have a way to um, distribute the power. On, Earth, on, on the moon, it's a lot easier to do it. You just have to get to the moon. And you can use 3D printing, you can use robots and all that. And then the other way to get energy is you get helium-3, which uh, the solar wind deposits into the, into the lunar surface, and that could be a, a fuel for advanced nuclear fusion energy. So the moon can help us with our sustainability. Um, and then, then the public really would be into it. The, the public doesn't seem to have much of an attention span on it. After the first couple of Apollo missions uh, that landed on the moon, 11 and 12, they really weren't so, they, anyway, they thought it was routine. You know, and you get this a little bit in the, in the movie Apollo 13, based on the book Apollo 13 by Jim Lovell. You, uh, 
you get a sense of how the public was losing interest. They were on their way to the moon. And those three channels that you were talking about, channel two, channel four, channel seven, they didn't even show it. They were supposed to show the, the, televi- the, the telecast on the way to the moon of Lovell and his crew. And they said, no, you know, nobody, people want to watch um, Mickey Mouse or whatever, whatever it was in those days <laughs> that, they, that they showed instead of, uh, of, of the astronauts going to the moon. And this was going to be a really scientifically a really exciting mission because they were going to the Far Morrow region, which was the first highland region that astronauts were ever going to visit. And that would, that would tell them a lot scientifically about the moon. Lovell was really excited about that. Um, but the public was kind of distracted by, well, Vietnam and everything was happening there, and by, well, um, other things going around on around the world, and that the fact that it was uh, the number of the Apollo mission was number 13. Media actually made a big deal about that. Instead of asking about, oh, you're going to from tomorrow which was formed when the Indian Basin was formed, when a big impact carved out the Indian Basin, and all the catapulted material came back down on the moon and formed this highland region from Mara, and that can tell you a lot about the origins of the moon. They didn't want to hear about that. They wanted to hear about, how could you name this Apollo 13? Isn't that bad luck? <laughs> oh, oh no. Yeah. And, you know, what the cool thing is, what, when you said uh, that four and seven weren't covering it great thing about today is that they don't need to cover exactly yeah we have youtube everyone can tune into a spacex launch anytime they want to and yeah nasa launch and it's amazing the great they would be able to get through yeah they'd be able to cover today even with all the other distractions that were happening in 1970 vietnam and of course the beatles breaking up that was really big news right around then too so it just People didn't want to hear about it, except the people who were scared of the number 13. Right. NASA loved that in their face. NASA thought that was so dumb that, hey, it's the 20th century and people still scared of the number 13. They, they just said, oh, come on. And, but the, in fact, the, uh, the, launch, the launch director, not the launch director, the flight director, Gene Kranz of the mission, who also wrote a really cool book about Apollo 13 about called uh, uh, um, Failure is Not an Option. He's quoted as saying that. Kranz is a really cool guy. He was so, he thought it was so dumb that the public was worried about the number 13 that he scheduled the, the launch for 13, 13 hours. <laughs> That's in modern so times. That's what they would... military time. That's 1.13 p.m. Okay. <laughs> so 13.13. 13, and they would be approaching the moon on the 13th of April, getting closer to the moon. He just wanted to rub that in everyone's faces. NASA, unlike many hotels in that time period, didn't have their elevators skip the 13th floor. <laughs> they, they were fine with 13. And there you have it. Astronauts getting sick. Unlucky number 13 mysteries not really mysteries pretty cool stuff though from dr david warmflash make sure to pick up his book moon an illustrated history from ancient myths to the colonies of tomorrow on amazon and i have a link to it in the show notes 
check out my other podcast, Wayfair, which is going to be dropping this Friday. That will be the 24th of May. That's tomorrow. So hit that up. The first episode is going to be basically a rundown of like who I am, you know, why I'm doing this podcast. First episode is just going to be me, me, me. <laughs> so if you want me to talk about stuff like that, um, make sure to check it out. Wayfair, W-A-Y-F-A-R-E. That'll be dropping tomorrow on Friday, the 24th of May. So check that out. Any podcast platform. Also, thank you for subscribing to this podcast. And if you haven't subscribed to the Space News Pod, make sure to hit that subscribe button right now. And you'll become one of the coolest people in the universe. I guarantee it. Now, I want to say thank you to all my sponsors. And thank you for taking the time out of your day to spend it here with me on the Space News Pod. My name is Will Walden. I'm your host. And I will see you soon. Tomorrow more with Dr. David Warmflash. Hear that? That's the sound of a patient whose health data is protected from a cyber attack. And that, that's the sound of a financial system that's digitally secured from bad actors. Right now, there's an invisible war being fought on a digital battlefield that impacts what we do every day. That's why at Paraton, we do the can't be done to help protect the vital systems we rely on. Because if we don't, the alternative is unimaginable. Paraton.